The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Jeremy Owens, Tech Editor and San Francisco Bureau Chief for Market Watch. And join me today is Maribel Lopez, Founder and Principal Analyst of Lopez Research. Welcome, Maribel. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Excited to be chatting about our favorite topic again. I know. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. Maribel and I have been talking about AI a lot um, over the past few months. And, and one of the things we've kind of you know talked a lot about is we don't expect to see a whole bunch of revenue from this AI push in tech in 2024. I, I wrote an article uh, a few months ago saying NVIDIA has experienced a generative AI boom, but it's not going to spread to the rest of tech just yet. Don't bet on it spreading to the rest of tech just yet. That has a lot of thoughts that Mari Ball and I have talked about um, uh, repeatedly uh, this year, but we do expect to see AI products increasing in the wild and, and there will be some revenue and maybe some profit margin generation from what is out there. So we do wanna talk through what we're going to see as consumers and how to kind of process that as investors or, or those just interested in the path for AI. And before we really get rolling, I do want to ask for more questions from those who are, are listening um, and watching us. I, I, we have received a ton of questions so far. Um, and I'll kind of reference some of those uh, as we go through. And one of them from Larry is, is it accurate to state that in most cases, the expected growth for anything AI is already priced in? Yeah, pretty much, especially for 2024. And maybe even a little bit overpriced for what we're going to see next year simply because you know the 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 companies are paying right now and, and they're getting they're paying nvidia right those costs are going out the door before they can develop their own products with the nvidia gear right maribel is that is that about what you would say yeah it's not just nvidia i think one of the things that we talked a lot about in 23 was whether or not we were going to see a decline in cloud growth and what really happened is that AI stabilized and accelerated, in some cases, cloud computing providers' growth trajectory. So they've had a hell of a year um, as of uh, really the chip guys in general. So it's been a big run up. A lot of that is already priced in. And now the question is, can we continue to have the same momentum in 24, or is there going to be a little bit of disillusionment if the growth rates aren't exactly what we thought? Uh, my personal perspective is that NVIDIA can sell all the product that they have for quite a while now, so I'm not really worried about them. We've Maybe even a couple of years we're looking at for for their you know backup <laughs> right now and just trying everybody trying to get their gear. Yeah. They're good. And I know people are like, oh, well, there's a lot of companies chipping at their heels, no pun intended. And it's true. But still, they've got pretty good uh, run rate. Some of the other chip guys, it'll be interesting to see what 24 looks like for them. But I think it's going to be a very good year for anybody. You know, uh, you and I have talked about it. I'm calling it the three C's right now, which is basically chips, cloud and cash. If you've got one or more of those, you're like, in good shape, right? If you're a company, it's a vendor sitting on a lot of cash, you're going to have a lot of M&A opportunity. 
if you are an investment opportunity in terms of VC. I yeah. just wrote about NVIDIA dumping all those billions it's making. They're dumping millions of it into uh, AI startups yes. um, in, in a lot of different areas. And Salesforce is doing the same. Well, yeah, what you're talking about there with with chips and cloud, especially, we're seeing the money spent on uh, NVIDIA chips and others. We're seeing money spent on cloud services for companies trying to. Those cloud services are also paying NVIDIA so they can build out their cloud services. Absolutely. And that's kind of where the money is right now. And talking about chip competitors, when, when Maribel and I talk about this, she always says, watch the chip makers, right? Anytime there's a new generation of technology, it starts with the chips. And we've had events in the past couple of weeks from both Intel and AMD that, that Mary Bell, you've followed closely. You were in New York with Intel and Qualcomm as well. They, they had their big event. And the big thing all of them were talking about was AI-enabled personal computers, AI oh, yeah. on PC, right? And those are supposed to hit in 24. And even if they don't really get many consumers' hands, consumers are definitely going to see the marketing. For them, you are going to start seeing big marketing pushes for AI PCs. Now, Maribel, in your discussions with, with Intel and some of these other chip makers, have they kind of detailed what that's going to make possible on a PC that's not possible now and why consumers may want to jump on those? Yeah, we're in a bit of a chicken and egg scenario around the AI PC in the sense that we don't really have the apps to consume it unless you're going to run some huge model on your PC. You don't necessarily need an AI PC today, but if you're going to buy a PC, why would you not buy an AI PC? Because realistically, what we're looking at is these things have to be in the market for about a year before the application providers catch up. Uh, we think 24 is the year that you know the apps providers are seeing that there's opportunity to build things for it. So if you were in something like an Adobe Creative Suite, you're going to see options there. If you're doing gaming, you're going to see options there. People always think of AI as like there's AI and it's business AI, but you know there's a lot of AI-enabled consumer uh, stuff, particularly around gaming, that we're going to see be very interesting. So do you need one? No, but if you're going to bother to buy a PC, you might as well buy the AI-enabled PC, and they will be coming out. Uh, there's design wins for that. So we're pretty excited to see that reinvigorate the PC landscape, which we know has been just an onslaught of issues for the past several years. And I, I guess I would say, you know, PCs are back. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I have my doubts, Maribel, to, say, to tell yeah. you the truth about the, the how many people are going to buy them. Um, but they will be high price machines, especially at the beginning. And there will definitely be enterprise, you know, Microsoft's going to buy a ton of these, right? They have enough programmers that that need this, that, yeah. that they're going to pay them. And that's going to help the margin of some of the PC companies, maybe some of the chip companies. You, you bring up a really interesting point, right? So if you think of anything that's really taken hold in the consumer space, it usually starts being funded by the enterprise opportunity. And there is definitely enterprise opportunity for two reasons happening right now. One, um, there was a huge pull-in of PCs around COVID. It's almost time for that refresh cycle to happen anyway. The second thing is now everybody's talking about AI. And you can do AI in the cloud or you can do AI on-prem. And... There are many organizations that are talking about due to privacy, due to the desire to not have data leakage, 
all sorts of things. They want to do more on-site than they have in the past. They're going to need better hardware to do that. And that's where the AI PC is really going to shine. You want to take a copy of a language model. You want to run it on a PC. You want to put your own data in it so that you get highly accurate, customized to your business insights using AI. Hey, that's what the AIP is, PC is designed for. Right. And that's the use case that makes a lot of sense for me. You know, consumers buying this and then being like, I can't wait for them to make apps that use this stuff. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me. But the, the businesses that are building on this stuff and need those, that type of ability offline and, and privately, that's where I see a, a demand for these. And it's more than you would think, right? So I think everybody thinks of it as the big tech companies. But, you know, we've seen some compelling demos of like, how do you take legal data that is private to your organization and use a large language model and do document summary and insights out of that, right? That, you know, there are plenty of law firms in the world, right? So you buy an AIPCs, you know, we've seen it in retail, we've seen it in healthcare. It, it could be pervasive if it hits the right price point and the right timing uh, to hit a refresh for probably closer to the end of 24. Yeah, and, and we, you know, kind of talked about how we we get the hardware first, the chip companies enable the, the new generation of technology, whatever it is, in this case, machine learning AI. Um, and then the software catches up and the application makers catch up. And, and that's kind of where we need to go next and talk about what we're going to see a lot of next year. And it is chatbots. These things are already everywhere. We're going to see them, you know, multiply even more, right? At this point, if you go to any website for a company, you're going to see some little box pop up and say, what's your problem? What do you need from us? That's going to be a chat bot, right? But it continues to spiral. Uh, John Swartz here at MarketWatch just this uh, last week wrote about SoundHound AI, which is a public company really working on voice chat bots. And they're working with a lot of fast food companies. I mean, there's a chance that when you pull up to a drive-through at some point next year, you're going to be talking to AI. Um, and, and this is something that's been prophesied forever. I, I was talking with you in our, our pre-chat, Maribel, about five, six years ago. I was at a Dreamforce keynote where they talked about the rise of chatbots and these are going to be the next huge thing. Um, and I don't remember anybody ever being excited about talking to a chatbot. I don't remember anybody thinking I can't wait for more of these to exist. But it might be better if they get better and more useful. Um, how, how do you see this playing out? And, and you know, do you enjoy talking with chatbots? Or are you are you getting there now that they're they're a little more useful? So 2023 was the year that every business thought, "How do I improve the customer experience?" And it's going to continue into 2024. We actually see that bots actually can help improve that both on a, a margin side and employee experience side and a customer experience side. What we had before was just awful. It didn't work. It was very hard coded and just created brand issues. So I think the opportunity that you're talking about is to just take some of the basic stuff off the table and contain those in a bot. It's a password reset. It's a shipping delay. What do we do? Uh, it's a proactive uh, outreach in some cases, which is not necessarily a bot, but another AI driven uh, communication. So particularly when we look at, at contact center and CX, we think there's a huge opportunity for uh, the bots to come back and to be better bots, so to speak. And we've seen people like prescription refills, all kinds of things that you can do, taking, you know, 80 to 90% of those workflows out of a contact center. That's really good stuff. But I think we have to be careful of understanding like when it's an assistant and when it's a replacement. 
And this is where we're starting to get a little hung up in, in the CX space. A lot of times we wanted to replace something. And it's like, well, hey, you're going to go through the drive-through. Uh, having that transcribed is not a bad thing. It's an assistive thing. It's not a replacement thing. So, right. I can totally see that being very useful for people speak, who speak other language natively and aren't great in English. If you have an AI there, even if there is a person taking the order who can tell, well, this is a foreign language, this person speaking, I don't understand. Let me turn on the AI assistant. Let me, you know, try and figure out what language this is. And, and the AI assistant probably could figure out what language it is and speak that language and take the order and translate it into English for the fast food worker. Right. And, and so that assistive instead of replacement, you know, personally, I know that that assistant is eventually going to replace. Right. That, that's kind of the thing is you're taking that first step toward it, you know. And, and so that, that's a hard thing to do when you do see the possible benefits to having this as an option in, in that workflow. I, I want to do a quick follow up on a question I saw in the chat just in case it didn't get answered. And it's like, why the PC for the enterprise will it not be cloud chip? Um, you know, what, what we're seeing there is it's not an either or, it's an and, right? So there will be some things that will be done by an AI PC in the organization. Not every PC has to be an AI PC and that we will see quite a bit done in the cloud. There's definitely a lot of talk about cloud optimization right now. And people are really freaked out about the amount of money they could potentially be spending in the cloud as it relates to AI. Right. And we didn't even talk about the software side. Like you and I were talking about, uh, we've co-piloted everything now, right? Or assisted everything, whatever you want to call it, a digital assistant, a co-pilot, uh, that costs money. It really mm -hmm. does. And are the software vendors going to bear the cost of that money when they say they're going to give you an assistant for the cloud computing resources? Or are you as the buyer going to, that is an unknown thing. And we haven't seen that one roll out in the market yet, but I think that's another shoe to drop. Sure, sure. Um, and, and with chatbots, I mean, we, we did get a question from Dan, which public companies you think will develop the most successful personal AI? By personal, I mean an AI that will like be like a personal assistant, make you a better you by assisting you in all things you need and will need. Um, I think right now we'd have to talk about Microsoft kind of being in the lead because of their partnership with OpenAI. Um, now, now, we've got a long way to go, and, and that could really change. But you and I, Mary Bell, have talked about how Microsoft is the proof in the pudding for this year. Yeah. with AI Absolutely. revenue opportunities, with just yeah. general yeah, AI <laughs> chatbots and things like that. They're, they're rolling out these co-pilots throughout all of their software system, and you, they'll use that rollout to kind of test how it works and try to perfect what they're doing in that term. So I, I would kind of bring them up in, in both those areas. You know, there, there are other people asking, like, you know, who has the best opportunity besides NVIDIA to, to really capitalize. And Microsoft is the place to watch this year for how this is going to roll out and be, right? Yeah. So two things there. One, I think if you're looking at, we, we've done many runs at this personal assistant thing now. One of the issues. Hello, Clippy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> Clippy. My goodness. Uh, so the part of the issue is, is that the right model, in my opinion? So the personal assistant for everything is like all the world's knowledge at your at your fingertips. There are only a couple of companies that really deal well with all the world's knowledge, and that's typically Google and Microsoft, right. given you know the internet um, presence and search and Bing and Google. You know, so there's a lot going on there, right? Uh, that I don't think changes. What I think is the more interesting landscape is AI works best when it's crafted for something as opposed to the, this moment I'm asking you about sports and the next moment I'm asking you about an NVIDIA chip. That's a lot to kind of integrate and to do well. 
And if you don't ask the questions right, you still get hallucinations uh, or shall we just say incorrect answers. So while I think that opportunity is interesting, the thing I think is really interesting about Microsoft is they have so many touch points across both consumer and enterprise, across you know physical hardware from something like the Surface, through the cloud, through the app that's on your desktop or your phone. And that's extremely powerful in terms of data. There are very few companies that have that. Google's another example of a company that has that. So both of those can do very well and can do perhaps more in that universal assistant concept than not. But where it really starts to shine is, you know, Microsoft calls it the graph, other people call it uh, data fabrics, but this concept that you have a large corpus, particularly in an enterprise of data that you can have access to and you can make the AI more relevant, those are the people that are going to mint money moving forward, the people that can help you make more out of data. Definitely. And, and we'll get back to some uh, questions, you know, in, in a little bit. I do kind of want to take this another direction, though, because we're talking about artificial intelligence here. Most of yeah. the questions and most of what we've been talking about so far is generative artificial intelligence, which right. has been the big talk sure. of 2023. Yeah. But I don't want to lose the forest for the trees here, especially one big tree that a lot of tech has been talking about. AI is much larger than just generative AI, chatbots and, and things of this nature. And I want to specifically talk about automated driving. This is, you know, the, the killer app of AI from <laughs> really? 2016, really? 17, right? <laughs> when, when we were really, you know, starting to, to talk about how AI is going to ripple through, it was automated driving. And it's still not quite there. And we're dealing with right now, uh, you know, the, the reality of what this looks like in practice, right? In San Francisco, near where I live, we've had crews shut down after a horrible accident in which a person got hit by a car flew over under a cruise vehicle, automated driving cruise vehicle, that then attempted to pull over to the curb with a person underneath the car. And these are the kind of edge cases that we're going to run into as this technology gets out into the world, right? Um, and, and, you know, we, we have Tesla basically beta testing its technology on regular drivers without much training, which <laughs> is its own problem. Um, and has just been dinged by NHTSA for its level two system autopilot uh, not steering well and hitting emergency vehicles and having to recall. So we've got a lot of, you know, this is where the rubber hits the road for an automotive metaphor in, in terms of autonomous driving. When the technology is out there being used and we are seeing the edge cases and the problems with it. Um, you know, and, and so I just wanted to kind of talk through that with you, Mary Bell, and, and, you know, use that as kind of a jumping off point to talk about how AI is going to be regulated. Um, okay. This, this fits back into the category. We were talking about AI in general. There's a lot of different types of AI that are within an automobile, but it also fits into the category of if we wait for that, this is the same as saying in healthcare that AI was going to cure cancer. There's so many things that you can solve in between here and there uh, that make a lot of sense. So you can have autonomous driving in factories and campuses, and it works because you've taken away a lot of the variability of human nature, right? Uh, you might even be able to have it with the right lanes for trucking, which I think the other thing we have not really gotten to is like, how bad is the pain point that you need this, right? you actually have a labor shortage in trucking. It makes a lot of sense to have autonomous trucks go from point A to point B and then pick up a driver instead of having one long distance truck. So I, I think it's a category of, 
you can do it, but there's still a lot of risk in it. <laughs> and we're still learning now. I've seen you know massive acceleration in terms of what we can do with AI and how fast we can train AI. So I think the speed of which we can do things will improve. But I think the bigger issue is like, focus on the right problems, focus on the smaller problems. I know somebody had a question in the chat about um, AI and healthcare and how that's gonna change healthcare. And you know what I'm hearing from healthcare providers right now? They just wanna be able to use AI to summarize all the documents that they have so that when Maribel walks into the room and a clinician's never seen her before, they can say, oh, she's been here five times, These, this is what's happened, and, and even have some suggestions on the predictive prescriptive side of what should happen next, like really improving the patient experience on that, which is a, a far cry from kind of where we started with it. And I love the fact that we have, you know, these big, hairy, audacious goals, <laughs> Yeah. but we kind of got to dial it back in terms of like, what can we do now and what's going to make money, right? Right. The, those big goals, like grab eyeballs, you know, ours in, in the media, my, my own, love you know, that. and, and when we write about it, consumers, and they don't turn, you know, it, it's a long way to that, right? I remind everybody back in 16, 17, everybody was saying, we'll have autonomous cars by 2020, level five, you'll be able to buy one. None of that happened, right? It is a much longer road to actually rolling this out. Um, and, and it's the same right now with everybody saying generative AI is going to take over the world. And, you know, they're, they're, it, it'll be all over the place next year. And, you know, your whole life's going to be run by that. It doesn't happen that fast. And, and it actually ends up taking off smaller chunks, exactly like you're talking about oh all cars are gonna be autonomous no but we might have some autonomous trucks you know the bus that takes you around a loop is probably going to be autonomous you know those types of things are where we we find the the easiest you know because there's roadblocks you know again to use you know, i read a lot of head, a lot of headlines about autonomous driving so it just comes out naturally now um there are a lot of roadblocks to actually rolling this out on a wide scale but you can find little pieces to to gnaw off around the edges absolutely but I am ex I'm more excited about it now than I've ever been. I think we're closer now than we've ever been, and we have a lot of opportunity. But it's not the first problem to solve. Right, right. And we get now to regulation, which we did want to talk about. And, and obviously, mm -hmm. we're, we're running into this right now. When I talk about the cruise thing, I try to remind people that, like, you know, this happened in San Francisco. Now they're out of San Francisco. San Francisco had no control on how many cars. That, that was actually a state commission. That got to decide how many autonomous vehicles, you know, ride sharing autonomous vehicles got to be in San Francisco. It just shows how unprepared we are as a people in terms of regulation and legislation to handle this. Now, we are starting to see regulators and legislators, of course, in Europe, not in the U.S., because our, our Congress is is pretty useless when it comes to stuff like this, um, actually address AI. The EU AI Act passed, mm -hmm. you know, recently. It's not going to go into effect until 25. But obviously, they're going. The the companies are going to be looking at what it says. Are going to be taking it to heart and and kind of trying to figure out how to live up to it even before. So so, what do you see is having the effect of the EU AI Act, and and what else do you see regulators really focusing on? Hey, listen. If anybody was going to be able to come up with an AI regulation act, I would give it to the EU. They've been known to be very good at regulating. Uh, having said that. I, I think we're still in the toothless stage for all AI regulation. And particularly in the US, we've got nothing behind it right now, except a, we plan to do blah, blah and in years when everybody that's in office now is gonna be out of office. So <laughs> therefore uh, we are net nowhere with AI regulation. What I, I think has surfaced is 
hey, we have some challenges that we really need to address around the AI ethics, around the privacy and security of individuals and how we're using these technologies. I think we're seeing specific regional governments roll out their own regulation in the short term of what they think is good. I think probably the biggest regulation win will be like something in 2024 where people decide that they need to buy a bunch of governance tools so they can at least track what's going on. But this whole concept of we're going to expose what data was in the models and we're going to expose how the models do what they do uh, actually shows a fundamental lack of understanding of where AI is right now and how much we'd have to unwind, rewind, and redo to make that happen. So I think I think the good news about this and about talking about regulation is it surfaces what the challenges are around AI. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Start to build better AI at the outset because we're still pretty new. Everybody makes it sound like we're done, right? We're not done. We're still at like, if this were a ball game, we're still at the first inning, you know? So yeah, but if you're regulating inputs, like you say, the, the data that gets put into these large language models and spits out new things, it, yeah, the cat's out of the bag a little bit. They've already ingested that data. That, that's going to be go to the, going to the courts, right? Yeah. That's going to be like the the people whose data was used in these suing and and finding out like what it is. But you know, regulating the outputs is important, and and that's where you can take off those small you know small bites I was talking about, right? Is like how are people using AI and what is it creating? Well, make sure that that is is useful to people. Make sure you know that's kind of the way to to take off bites of this instead of looking as the EU did this giant AI act and trying to regulate an industry that you know crosses different industries and, and is used in different ways. You know, you kind of need to look at what, how they're using it and try to regulate that in a lot of ways. Well, Jeremy, here's a great example. Like if we go back, um, some people had to do this earlier than others just because. But let's look at financial services. The concept of you may or may not give somebody a mortgage based on their zip code. And that was something that was just part of the variables that were in AI mm -hmm. that were determining whether or not you even evaluated an application. You can go back and you can fix that, right? Like <laughs> so that. The, these are examples of it doesn't have to be the entire world is you know regulated with these type of penalties for not reaching X, which just it just takes too long in some ways is impractical. Uh, but you can say things like, hey, we need to decide that there's some transparency in how we determine whether or not we evaluated you for a mortgage. Here are the three or four things that elements that we used and then decide if those are the right elements once you know that those are the elements. Yeah, and, and just being aware and, and willing to act is is something that we can would want from our legislators at this point. And living in California, I feel like, you know, we do act, but but nationally it has been very slow for Congress to do anything. Well, look, we've gotten a ton of questions, Maribella, so so I'm gonna try to get to a bunch of them here now. Okay. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> specific companies that have been asked about in, in the chat. So there's been a few of them. Let's see, Marvell, Arista, now that's a chip maker and a networking company. Um, Adobe has been brought up as software, as has Snowflake and Salesforce, and also Meta Platforms, aka Facebook. Um, are there any of those you you really want to dive into at all? Again, it's a huge list, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I would say is um, there's been more excitement about Marvel uh, with the whole chip industry at large. So there's probably some opportunity there. 
not sure exactly how big or small that might be, but there's opportunity there. Uh, if we look at Snowflake, Snowflake is very deeply engaged in the data dialogue that we're having around AI, but one has to wonder what the right combination would look like, you know, with Cisco going with Splunk and how that changes some of the dynamic. Uh, so I, I think they have opportunity there. The question is that people also look at them as expensive. So are they mm -hmm. looking to get rid of that platform? That's that's a big challenge for them in 24. Uh, Salesforce has just had an enormous, tremendous run, right? They've been at it for a long time. Uh, they've got a lot of the value of their benefit priced in already. They've leaned very heavily into uh, AI very heavily into CX. I think that both of those will do well for them. Uh, what I would say is they remind me of a lot of SAP in the sense of people don't mm -hmm. yank them out easily. They're very difficult to yank out of an organization and replace. And I think that that is wildly underestimated in the market when people think about the longevity of a company. So perhaps maybe not as much uh, stock growth opportunity, but in terms of staying power as a company, I think that they're you know right in there. Um, I'm sure I missed somebody. Meta, maybe, maybe you, you've done a lot with Meta. You want to talk about Meta? <laughs> well, Meta is always willing to invest, and I always want to see the revenue come through, right? Mm -hmm. Meta has invested deeply in generative AI and building large language models. I'm not quite sure I see where the revenue is going to come from for them, and this is similar to buying WhatsApp, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great property, and, and a lot of people use it. I haven't seen them develop revenue from it. You know, they still continue to be a company that makes most of its money from advertising and, and, you know, is this AI push going to help their advertising? Maybe, you know, are they going to find that long wanted secondary revenue stream? I, I haven't seen anything to say yes, but, you know, they do have good technology and they have invested and they have built this, you know, but they're also invested in Metaverse and I don't see much money coming from that, right? They've also invested in WhatsApp, I don't see much money coming from that. So I, I'll trust Meta when I see it. Marvell's an interesting one. They they were big at CES last year when I was there. They were really talking up their opportunities and their future opportunities. They've disappointed a little bit throughout the year. Again, this is hype versus reality in terms of when that money will come in. But they are, you know, you can watch them and 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 kind of see where they're kind of headed. It's 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 a little choppy right now, to say the least. But it is one to to watch out. Uh, did we talk about Arista at all? I mean, what is the networking opportunity here? I know Cisco has talked this up. They they claim to have some AI revenue. Um, in their last earnings report, but they were cagey about exactly what and how much that AI revenue was and exactly what it was from. Yeah, but you picked up on it, Jeremy, already. It's like, it's hard to say what is AI revenue. To me, um, I know Ali had a question about like AI picks outside of Microsoft. If we put all these together, what I would say is, uh, with the exception of the chips, which have to be in everything, aside from that, I don't like things that are AI only. I think there's got to be a good combination of like AI and software that come together. So what I like about the networking opportunity is this move to full stack observability and understanding the quality of the data experience throughout the network and a layering of security on top of that, uh, that basically says, okay, we can start to see where different threats are coming in at different points in the network. I think both of those are very interesting opportunities. So. But that's a that's a combo play, right? So it's not so much that it's a networking hardware itself that's of interest. It's that software layer that they're adding on on top of it that could be interesting. Um, hey, you know, we're not we're not counting Arista out. Uh, we're seeing a tremendous momentum in 
Cisco innovation that we haven't seen in a long time. So that actually makes Cisco more interesting than they were. Largely because of Arista. Arista has pushed yep. them, you know, from mm -hmm. the high end for, uh, along that path. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see some more questions from us here. We, we kind of addressed the change in healthcare. You know, I really do think the biggest thing there is more going to be drug discovery. Um, and this is something that NVIDIA has invested a lot in, in, in their VC efforts. I talked about a lot of their, you know, money was put toward trying to figure out how to improve dr drug discovery, testing, um, and, and really figure out for, for rare diseases, especially, um, how they can develop drugs that, you know, for diseases that haven't really gotten a lot of attention. Um, and that's going to be more than, than healthcare itself. Do you, do you see anything else there, Mary Bell? Yeah, I mean, the, the drug discovery has been around for a while now. I think AI really accelerates that opportunity and allows us to, we've already seen that. So I think that that will just continue on. I think the bigger play in healthcare is like, how do we, how do we get better information about the patient itself to the people that need to know it? And how do we up-level the quality of the care system, which is under attack with a lot of people leaving, how do we make that so that the people that are there don't have burnout? So I, I see more of an, the, it's not sexy, but it's like the stuff that makes the wheels go around in an organization, getting them the right data, uh, right. stopping the summer. So this has been something tech has talked about now for a decade or more, right? The universal health record, yeah. right? How many startups have we seen come and go because they want to make the universal health record and then they get in and start dealing with the actual health related information laws like HIPAA versus like what hospitals have to have on prem versus what can they put out and and you know it's a hugely complicated sector that tech continues to look at and say oh we can make that better until they get in and actually face the problems that are within that sector and then a lot of them either fail or you know again take a smaller chunk than they were originally planning for AI does a lot of connectivity and pulls a lot of data together for that. So I think that's important. I think, you know, you're looking at doctors that go home and they spend hours in the evening trying to catch up on patient record keeping. Like we can actually stream that, streamline that and have that be in the flow of the dialogue with the customer. I think that has tremendous opportunity and value for getting both richer records and less fatigue. So those are the things that I look at, right? That how do we, how do we drive that next gen patient experience? I, I think I saw something fly by about IBM and Watson. the quantum chip yes there was a question about the ibm quantum chip um and how that's going to play out and about watson um which was right. remember the the ibm product that won jeopardy as an ai a decade ago more than that it was like 2012 i want to say I'm, I'm not fact checking myself live here but you yeah. know it, it, i use it as an example of hype versus reality you know they, they really hyped watson up and now they've ended up if i remember correctly the, the one place they used it was health. They, they, they did focus it on health and they were able to find some clients and some decent you know movement there. And they ended up divesting Watson Health, if I remember correctly, selling that asset and keeping the rest of Watson to, to continue working on. Yeah, there's been a reinvigoration in the Watson stack. Um, so they've, they've kind of come back with a concept of there's AI tooling, there's how you manage data, um, and there's how you do governance, right? So in their in their Watson stack, I think it's a good flow. It's it's very big. It's very ambitious. But they have a lot of 
enterprise buyers that really resonate with this story. And, and they do have tooling. They've been working on, particularly they have a lot of open source tooling that they've actually got a nice bridge between it being open source and commercial for people that are like, hey, I like the open concept, but I need more commercialization around it. They also uh, still have the integrator arm that they connect with that can help them push people over the edge because AI is still not easy to deploy. I don't care who you are or what you say, it's not a magic easy <laughs> So in the past year, I would even say in the past six months, there's been far more enthusiasm over IBM's opportunity with Watson than there has ever been, really, because we all we always just say something because again, this is more than a decade. Of, it was big bang, right? And yeah, and yeah. you know these things take a long while. Like that's the thing I think everybody forgets is we've been talking about AI for you know well more than a decade, and you can go back to like the sixties. I mean, academic and, wise, yeah, you know, we've been talking about it since yeah. before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. So so I I think that there. I think where IBM is now is that they have focused Watson on things that enterprise buyers care about. And so now it's about execution of sales on that. Uh, on the quantum chip. Um, I mean, I wanted to yeah. say that quantum is basically where AI was in, you know, 2000s, maybe like even before the 20 teens. I, that's the thing is like, we're really early and we're not going to see a lot of, of quantum, you know, programs, revenue, anything for a while. And, and so, you know, I, I, if you're betting really super long-term, like, sure, look into quantum, you know, it's just, we're going to, we're, we're a long way away from actual revenue and, and product that, that are really taking advantage of quantum. Absolutely. Um, but it's an exciting field that you have to look at because it changes a bunch of things. And I spent a lot of time looking at the quantum implication on security and how we're going to address um, the fact that quantum can break a lot of traditional securities we have it and who's doing what about that. So if you wanted a shorter term play to think about that's related to quantum, look for people that are trying to fill the gap of how quantum could break security. And that's a good, a good way. Yeah, I actually uh, met with Checkpoint Security when they were out here and their CTO was kind of going through, you know, trying to use AI to battle the AI the bad guys are using and, mm -hmm. and how that, that kind of develops, which is, is fascinating. Uh, one other name that came up quickly uh, is Palantir. We, we had two people ask about Palantir. Um, do, do, and, and Adobe is another one that has been asked a couple of times. I don't think we got to in that other round. I mean, Palantir was early on, on, you know, the AI approach to unstructured data and, and really focusing on that for governments and others. Um, you know, I don't know if this round of AI hype really, you know, pushes them because they're still going to get the deals they were going to get to, to get. They may face more competition with others coming out and things like that. And, and Adobe is also one that a lot of analysts have talked about is going to get early um, revenue from this because the software they're putting out in terms of, of image generation, video generation, they already have that the, those people inside that are using that kind of software so they can do that. Any thoughts on those two, Maribel? Yeah, so Palantir isn't like square up in my bailiwick. So uh, what I would say is that we've always been very excited about Palantir. I, I think that continues, um, but that's about as much as I can say. It's not my main area of uh, forte. Uh, on the Adobe stack, Adobe is a, a great example of where I was talking about a combination of AI tech and software, right? Because they have something that people use and AI enhances that and they have opportunity for more attach as a result of having AI. So I think that those, I think that's a good combination and that they still have legs. 
Great. Well, uh, you know, let me just pick out one or two more questions. We have gotten a lot of questions before this started <laughs> and during this. I can't thank y'all enough for joining and, and being a part of this conversation. Um, and, and I'm going to take these questions along and, and you know, kind of toss them at the newsroom to see what we can kind of answer in 24. Um, and so I, I do like that, that y'all are asking, you know, let me grab one here from Catherine. Will AI be a game changer in climate change? For example, using data from heat map to address methane leaks. And again, these are the types of big questions I hope that people are, are you know, really jumping at. They, there are startups looking at this. There are big companies looking at this. And I, I just, you know, hesitate to say it will be anytime soon. But do you know anything specific about that? Yeah, so we've talked to all the the big industrial IoT guys, and they're like all over this. I think Honeywell actually has a product right now uh, in that space that they're uh, talking about. Um, I believe Schneider has one as well. We've talked to companies about SAP, about how you quantify um, what's going on with both AI and with emissions as part of a financial stack. So I think that there's a really nice, interesting intersection of AI. There's also the flip side of that, right? We're using a lot of, we're consuming a lot of energy with AI. Right. So we're going to have to get better about that as well. So I think there's opportunity. And how that electricity is generated is determining whether it's bad or, or you know, not as bad for the environment. One more that I think, uh, you know, is more up your line, uh, Maribel, to the extent you may be aware, what are your thoughts about PLMs, personal language models, versus LLMs, which are large language models, as it pertains to the future of AI adoption utilization? Are you familiar with PLMs and, and, and what, what do you think about that uh, distinction? Yeah, so this, when you talk about what you could run on a AI PC, that's a great example, right? So you can mm -hmm. have a personal language model. I've talked a lot about customization of models for an individual. Uh, or the ability for an individual to customize their responses and have certain phrases and the like that they use in, in their responses. Uh, I've not gotten a lot of great uh, thought from technology vendors on that. They're still very much into that we're going to build our thing for our whatever. And, you know, maybe that's okay. I think that, that that's probably the, the um, personal language models are probably in the third wave of what we're talking about. And that's where we start to get more sophistication and more customization. Uh, right now, I think Gen AI people um, feel can do everything. But at the end of the day, what's so funny about it is if you really think about it, you're still just asking questions, right? right? Nobody's contextualized or customized or personalized and is giving you an individual customer experience, right? Everything is still like, I'm asking the technology and now the technology can speak back to me. And that is, um, that is good, but not sufficient to change the dynamic of how we use technology. Last question from Steve, total silence from AI regarding Apple so far. Are they totally missing the AI opportunity? Apple does not talk until it has a fully realized solution, right? They always let all of the, the front runners get out there and put their products out. Remember, you know, it was Blackberry was the first big, you know, thing until iPhone came along. And they didn't talk about iPhone much before. And this is what Apple does. They, they have people working on it. They are trying to figure out what the killer app for them is and how they're going to use it. But they're not going to talk about it until they have that thing boxed and ready to ship. And, and so you'll hear there'll be selective leaks here and there. Don't worry about that. But, you know, it's going to take a while for Apple to get in the game. And that's just who they are. I, I guess I don't feel like they're out of the game. I think everybody says no. that Apple's out of the AI game because they don't sit around and wave an AI flag every day. Right, and they're, right. they're not hyping. Yeah. Real buyers for them, which are mostly consumers, do not care about AI. 
right? Right. When they do talk about AI, they're very specific about what it is, right? They've got plenty of AI chip going on in their hardware and they're not afraid yep. to talk about that, right? So they do talk about, you know, the uh, MPUs and other things, right? So that is a discussion. MPUs are neural processing units. Those yeah, are the chips being put that. into the AI PCs. Well, I never mentioned it earlier. Um, the, those are the big chips that are being put into the AI PCs that, that are going to be uh, shipping next year. And somebody asked about Amazon and what I would say about so so I would say that that Apple is probably talking about the right level of AI for the audience that they are serving, and perhaps more detailed individual conversations with enterprise buyers. Uh, Amazon, I mean, hey, Amazon's killing it. They're making hay with AI cloud computing. They're going to continue to make hay with AI cloud computing. Salty talked about that at reInvent about how it was a great opportunity for him. He's he's totally right. And the biggest issue that they have right now with AI is people going, oh, my God, it costs a lot of money. I'm terrified of this. Right. right. <laughs> so he's got to navigate people through that. And isn't Microsoft beating you? They talk about it more yeah. and they have open AI. And all yeah, no, like, totally. Well, we can do anything they can do, like bring it to us. You know, they're not scared. AI thing, though, and they kind of went down the, oh, we're, you know, open model kind of thing. Right. Both Google yeah. and Amazon have dug deep into that. Like we're not open AI dependent. Uh, so. That was a that was an interesting talk track for the past couple of weeks. So. Yeah, well, look, we are way over time here. We were supposed to end <laughs> at, at twelve thirty Eastern. We're now past twelve forty, um, but we had so many interesting questions. I really Thank appreciate you. everybody coming in and talking to us and sending us questions. I really appreciate you, Mary Bell, for for being here, and thank you all for tuning in. Um, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Market Watch personal finance reporter and my man, Andrew Keschner. We'll talk to Adrian Alfonso, principal in tax at Kaufman Rawson on what's ahead of tax planning and tax policy in the new year. So thank you again for listening. Thank you again for being here, Mary Bell, and sharing everything you have. And we'll see you again tomorrow. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.